Well, today is January 3rd, and this is the first Sunday of a new year, 2021. As I stand before you today, I am certain of one thing. When the coronavirus pandemic hit the United States and everything shut down in early March, there is no way that any of us imagined that we would still be in this restricted mode nearly 10 months later, in a completely different year. Our Christmas celebrations all took place about 10 days ago, and most of us grappled with a, a rather different Christmas. Here at North River, we didn't set physical attendance records with more than 1,000 people in our services as in years past. And then we all had smaller family gatherings as traditions were broken, trips back home were canceled. Some of us scaled back dramatically because your small business had been unable to operate as usual or because mom or dad's job had been eliminated. New college grads learned that finding a good job is harder when companies hold off on hiring because they are uncertain of the next year's prospects. Those new grads who were able to land a job discovered that it's nearly impossible to find a mentor in a telework environment. Some college students stayed home and navigated Zoom classes this past semester while high school students faced nearly a full year so far, and more to come, of internet classrooms, abbreviated or eliminated sports seasons, and hurdles that even prevent them from taking SAT exams. Add to that, teachers, principals, and administrators are absolutely fried from trying to show up for work every day while learning to balance in-person and online strategies at the same time, with a complete inability to satisfy the expe expectations of students or their parents while trying also to avoid getting the virus. All of this, and we have yet to mention the cumulative impact of risk, extremely sick patients, daily death counts, combined with a determination to give their absolute best in the midst of the madness that we see from all the members of the medical community. Now, I choose to begin this message with these reminders because I'm convinced that there is one overarching goal that we must pursue together in this new year. It's this, how to become resilient Christians. And so we're beginning this new year with a new series that we're simply calling Resilient. If there has to be a, a subtitle to it, it's building a faith that lasts through chaos and change. But that's the one word that we want to talk about for the next several weeks, resilience. How do we become resilient followers of Jesus in the midst of the times that we find ourselves in? Now, this is not something that we do all by ourselves. And it's not something that you're either born with or not born with. But God is at work using everything that comes our way to build this quality of resilience into the core of our makeup. We can either lean into this process or we can shrink back from it. But God is trying to create resilient people who serve him in every situation in life. So for the next few weeks, we're going to pursue this question together. What building blocks go into the long-term development of a resilient faith? Part one, our topic this morning, is the power of faith. So let me say good morning to my North River friends. Uh, glad to see those of you who are in the room here today. And uh, for those of you who are with us online, we also want to welcome you. 
whether you're viewing from your home nearby or whether you're in another state like Florida and North Carolina and California and New York and New Hampshire and Pennsylvania and all the people who, who write us notes or who let us know that they're continuing to watch. We've made it to another year. We're here. So let's dive in and let's talk about the power of faith and how the Lord guides us. A few moments ago, I read these beautiful words from Hebrews chapter 12 that begin with this thought. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In these three verses of Scripture, there are some keys to building a resilient faith that I'd like to start the year with this morning. Here's the first one. Remember that you come from resilient stock. Verse 1, Hebrews 12, begins with this thought, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, the previous chapter of this letter focused on people who had resilient faith. This matters because of the opening statement in verse 1, that says, therefore, and it speaks of this great cloud of witnesses. Who or what is this great cloud? Now, this verse uses some Greek words that uh, are only, this one is only used one time in the entire New Testament. By itself, it refers to a group of clouds as contrasted with a single cloud. And occasionally, in other Greek writings outside of the Bible, it could refer to a throng of people, a collection of people rather than a collection of clouds. It seems that the writer of this New Testament letter intentionally drops hints of this cloud that is also described as a throng of people, knowing that Bible readers are aware of how God appeared in a cloud to Moses, how Jesus ascended with the clouds at the end of his earthly mission, and how he promised that he will one day return with the clouds. And so we have a cloud that represents a throng of saints who are now at rest in the presence of God somewhere up there, wherever heaven is, above the clouds that we see as the limits of our imagination in this world. This cloud of people includes a long list of resilient people of faith. Sixteen are mentioned by name in Hebrews chapter 11, two women and 14 men. The generation of Israel that entered the promised land is also included as an entire group of resilient, faith-filled people, as are the prophets, along with the prophets and the early church pioneers who learned to trust in God's promises even when the goal that they hoped for was far off in the future. Some of them were persecuted and even mistreated for their faith. Now this New Testament letter written to first century Christians unites us with them. This takes place through the insertion of a simple little pronoun, two letters, the word we. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. With this brilliant stroke, the Bible pulls us into the story of Scripture and lets us know that these are not just ancient people of faith who are stuck in the past and unrelated to us and who don't matter. We, who are alive with Christ now, the Bible says, are surrounded by them. This group, which has finished their race, 
surrounds us and is cheering us on as we face the challenges of our day. As if we are in a great relay race and we have taken the baton from them and we're running the next leg of the race. And I want you to know that no matter how you are feeling today or what you are struggling with or where you are in terms of assessing your own faith development, there is a whole throng of people up in the kingdom of heaven who have already worked their way through the dilemmas of life, who are cheering you on by name, wanting you to succeed and to live well and to mirror the faith that they live by and that they face their challenges with as you walk through everyday life right now, today, and in this new year. That's why I get so excited about what happens here in, in Hebrews chapter 12 because these words are written to us and we are all of a sudden united with all of these great saints of the past with that simple insertion of that word, we. The Bible moves from something that is a, a story of history about people who once lived and it all of a sudden becomes something that envelops us in the midst of an ongoing process of what God is doing in the world. This group may have finished their race, but we belong to them and they belong to us. And we come from great spiritual stock. Please don't ever read these two chapters of the Bible just purely as history again. The we in Hebrews 11.1 doesn't let us do that. We come from incredibly strong, faithful, resilient stock. No matter that you may be the first in your family to have faith in Christ, no matter how colorful you back, your background may be, no matter how much you think you may have failed so far, you and I come from great spiritual stock and we are united with all of those who have walked before us and who finished the race and who are united with Jesus now and they are cheering you on saying, don't quit, go on, carry the mission forward. We are with you, the same strength that elevated us, that animated us, that invigorated us is available to you through Jesus and through the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Do you believe that? You come from great spiritual heritage. Let me introduce to you the big idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. Jesus and this group of people who are described here as the ancients inspire us to run well as we carry the baton of faith today. Jesus and the ancients inspire us to run well as we carry the baton of faith today. So lesson number one is for us to remember that you and I come from great spiritual stock. Here's lesson number two. Run like your life depends on it. Look at the way that verse 1 uh, plays out. In the, in the middle of the verse it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's the one command that's actually here in, in this opening verse. People who get the most out of life approach it like a race. So the primary command here tells us to run. Okay, what race is this? What race are we in? It's the race of faith. The implication is that this great cloud of witnesses are a group of people who've already taken their part in this race. They've run their life's lap, and their race is over, and now they cheer us on. This has been a relay race where one person has taken the baton from another, and all through the ages has walked with God, has carried out their mission that God has given us, and we are the ones who are running the next leg today. 
And now is the time for us to take up the baton and run our race. And so we get another lap to run here in 2021. Next, it tells us to run the race that is marked out for us. When I look at that list of great people of faith from Hebrews 11, it hits me that they were all on the same team, but they didn't all run exactly the same race. Let me explain what I mean by that. When I hit the seventh grade, I was a growing, awkward, a little bit chubby kid who always wanted to be on the team. But that year, I didn't make the team. Seventh graders were too young for football in our town, so you couldn't play tackle football. And I tried out for basketball, and I was the last guy cut from the team. So I decided in the spring to go out for track, and the great thing about track was they didn't cut anybody. Everybody made the team. And I learned a lot that year. I went from being in a place in the very first week of that season where I didn't qualify, I couldn't uh, couldn't uh, jump over the opening height for the high jump and my start was too slow to run the 50-yard dash that I wanted to run so they put me in the 100 and in the 200-yard dash and I ended up finishing last in, in each of the events that I was a part of in the first race of the year but one of the things I discovered was if you keep working hard and you forget about the other people and you only run against the clock you can get a little bit better every time and I went from finishing last to the, the final race of, of that season, we had the, the, four town, uh, the four junior highs in, in our town, and I came in second in the 100-yard dash and second in the high jump in the entire town. And I, and I realized that when you work at your own race and you work at it, it just a little bit at a time, you get better and better and better. But on the track team, there are a number of people who all do different things. Some run sprints. Some run middle distance races. Some run long distance races. Some run over high hurdles or low hurdles or intermediate hurdles. Some compete in events like a high jump or a long jump where they throw the shot put or the discus or they do the pole vault. Your race through life in this race of faith may involve climbing over hurdles. It may seem that your race is like a tough mutter where you climb through mud and slime for the joy of it. It may look like an obstacle course year after year. Whatever your race looks like, the Bible is telling us, run hard, run well, run with perseverance, because there's something learned each time you take another step in that race. And so the question that flows to us is, how are you running? You're still here. We're all still growing. We're all, we're all still involved in this life. We may have a, a different role that we play day in and day out. We may be in different age brackets, but we're all still here. We're still breathing the same air, and we're all still in this relay race that the Bible is describing here in Hebrews 12. So how are you running? It's not talking about how fast we're running. But how are we running? Are we running with perseverance? Are we, are we tackling the obstacles that come with wisdom, with determination? Are we looking at the mission ahead? Are we looking for where God is operating around all of the obstacles that we see? The beginning of a new year is a great time to reflect and to make course corrections. And so Hebrews 11 helps us to look at the way this group that's described as the ancients ran with perseverance. They ran the race of faith as if all eternity hung in the balance. 
Now, I ran a lot of races. I wasn't the best, but I ran from the seventh grade all the way through my sophomore year in college. And I saw a lot of track meets, and I saw a lot of great athletes. But you know what's interesting? I don't remember most of those races. They all seem the same. But I remember a couple of times when I ran as if my life depended on it. In the eighth grade, I tried out for the football team again, and, and this time they only had a few slots for eighth graders. It was an eighth and ninth grade team, and there were three days of tryouts, and it was grueling. I knew nothing about football except for what I'd watched on television. I didn't know how to block. I didn't know how to tackle. I didn't know how to carry the ball or run a different play, but they put us through all of this, uh, these events that seemed like an ordeal. And then at the end of the third day, I was watching the coach standing behind him, and he was scratching names off the list. And because my name begins with an A, my last name, I thought I saw him scratch off my name at the top of the list. And I was hurt and frustrated and thinking, I just wasted three days and went through all this stuff, and I'm not even going to make the team. The last event of the day was a 200-yard race where they had us run the length of the football field, around the goalposts, and then run back. And the, the coach just said, go. And the entire team took off. And just thinking that I would saw him scratch my name off the list, I was so angry and so frustrated. I took off like a rocket. And I ran all the way down the field. And I, all of a sudden I realized I'm ahead of everybody else, even the guys that were a year older than me. And as I got toward the goalpost, I looked back and I was way ahead of everybody else. And they were thinking that I was going to slow down and all of a sudden die. And I just took off on that last hundred. I beat the entire team because of that fear. <laughs> Folks, this is the way we're supposed to run the race. Like your life depends on it. Like there's something great you're going to lose that pulls the best that you have out of you. And you give it everything that you've got. And it's then that we find that we make breakthroughs in life. That's what this writer of, the, of this letter is telling us to do. Run with perseverance. Run as if your life depends on it. Only then do you get the best out of that moment. So we're given this challenge first to remember that you come from resilient stock. Don't put yourself down. Don't look at your failures. Look at who has come before us, who, are, who is cheering us on now, and then run like your life depends on it. And then the, the third challenge tells us to make course corrections that help us run well. So Jesus and the ancients inspire us to run well as we're carrying this baton, and then they offer us course corrections. And they show up here in these verses. Here's the first one. Unburden. It's real simple, but unburden. So the writer says, let us throw off everything that hinders this writer starts with the image of a runner stripping down to race. Imagine a runner just before the start of an Olympic race. On other occasions, a runner may wear a warm-up suit or run with small ankle weights to increase the difficulty. But this is never done when the real contest is about to start. Off come the sweat clothes, the ankle weights, anything else that would slow you down. I remember one time getting into a race in high school and, and we, it was the beginning of the season and it was rather cold and so we were bundled up with extra sweatshirts and extra stuff and then one of my friends was about to begin a race and, and he took all that a little bit too seriously and the, he waited to the last second until the, the starter called out, on your marks, and his thumbs went into his sweats and pulled everything down and it all came down all at once. <laughs> you never forget something like that. But when I read this passage of Scripture, I think about that. You know, let everything go that, that would hinder you. 
Now, here's my question in the midst of the humor. Are you carrying anything that slows you down or that holds you back from the way that God wants you to run? Now, we're not talking about clothing or physical weight now. We're, we're talking about all the other stuff that we tend to carry that burdens us down. Old wounds that we refuse to heal from. The stuff that we refuse to forgive, where a grudge turns into sludge. Do you know that's what grudges do? When you hold on to them so long, they become, it becomes the sludge that you have to slog through, and you can't get footing, and you're slipping and falling. Burdens that God never asked you to carry, but you keep picking them up and taking them on anyway. When you're running as if your life depends on it, what would you let go? You know, a lot of the things that we carry through life as extra burdens are stuff that we find that we, we will let go in the midst of some great season of need. Here's the second course correction. Disentangle. So if we tease that verse out a little bit farther, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders. That's what we just talked about. And the sin that so easily entangles. Now, someone may get upset at me for using violent language. But seriously, it often takes violent determination to throw off sinful patterns. And so we are to strangle all that disentangles, all, all that entangles us in this process of disentangling. Strangle it. There's a very descriptive phrase that's used here in the New Testament. The sin that so easily entangles. Now, I'm aware that most people don't like to talk about sin, but sin is anything that keeps us from God. Sin is, is any failure on our part to live up to the expectations that he has for us. But what a great way of describing it. The sin that so easily entangles Sin has this way of tripping us up, causing us to fall, making it more difficult to run well. The longer sinful patterns are allowed to remain in our lives, the more they entangle us and the more difficult they become and the harder they are to excise from our lives. Most well-written novels are actually built on this observation. Lies, sins, and destructive patterns become horribly entangled. What someone tries to conceal at first, has a way of becoming ex exposed later on. The point is, if you want to run this next race well, you've got to strangle the sin that entangles. Be ruthless. Get rid of it. Break the pattern once and forever. You would never enter a marathon with long, loose-fitting clothes that could get tangled up as you reach your full stride and cause you to trip or fall. You don't have to live a perfect life to enter the race of faith, but along the way, you and I start to realize that we'll never run well until we get unentangled from some of the stuff that we've carried, some of the stuff that we've let linger too long. Here we are on the first Sunday of the year. Determine today that you won't let old entanglements follow you into another year. It just gets harder and harder to get rid of the longer you hold on to it. What is it that God wants you to give up? What is it that would free you to serve with more joy, with less regret, with more of an open heart? Determine that this is the year that you will disentangle. 
So we find we have these course corrections that are challenging us to unburden, to disentangle, and then there's one more, to focus. And so we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. Verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a wonderful description of Jesus. He's our pioneer of faith. In other words, a pioneer goes before us. He's the perfecter of our faith. As the perfecter of our faith, he's the one who's shaping us, who is coaching us, who is building us up along the way. The challenge is for us to think about Jesus every day. What would this year look like if you decided that you would read and reflect on a key verse or a body of teaching from Jesus every day? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He understands it better than anyone else. Who better to take guidance from? I was thinking about this challenge over the weekend. In the last couple of days, I started off the day by determining that whatever else I'm reading in Scripture, I'm going to go to the Gospels every day this year, and I'm going to look at some of those red letters from Jesus and refocus again on statements that come specifically from Jesus. And so I'm altering my reading pattern to make sure that every day I'm including some gospel elements that take me back to something that Jesus said, and I'm going to reflect on that every day. I would like to invite you to do that with me this year. I would like to invite you, when we have those brief opportunities for a conversation, to bring up what are you hearing from Jesus as you look at what Jesus had to say. There's a lot of other stuff in the scriptures that's worthwhile, that, that's full of wisdom, but Jesus is the one who is the pioneer or the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. And I'll tell you what I'm looking for in me. I'm looking this year from coaching from Jesus where the pioneer and perfecter of our faith can look at me and continue to whisper into my life, Paul, here's another course correction that needs to happen this year. Have you thought about this? Remember when I described it this way, here's what you're dealing with now. I would love it if we had a whole year filled with those kinds of conversations because of what you are hearing in the whispers from Jesus as you're putting the red letters of Jesus before your eyes and into your heart every single day. What would 2021 look like if you and I availed ourselves of direct coaching from Jesus by choosing to focus and fix our eyes on Jesus? Think about Jesus when you think that living God's way is too hard. He looked at the goal at the end, redeeming people like us, and seeing that far off, he endured the cross. He was focused on the joy at the end. And that's what you and I need to do to run well. We need to focus on the joy that is yet before us, the promises of God that affect the future will determine how we live today. Jesus and the ancients inspire us to run well as we carry the baton of faith today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for reminding me that I belong to you and that we all belong to the people of faith who have already finished their race. Help us to pick up the baton and run well this year. Help us to leave behind the burdens of the past Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can run well, so that we can run with perseverance, so that we can finish well. 
And so, Lord, we offer to you this next year and who we are. Thank you for reminding us that we come from great stock. Help us to pick up the baton. And to see the joy far off when you say to all of those who finish the race, well done, good and faithful servant. You have run well. Thank you for this reminder at the beginning of the year together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in for a great series, and I hope that uh, you will walk with us through this. Christy's going to take up part two next week, and I'm looking forward to how she's going to guide us in the next step of this process. But for the next couple of months, we're going to talk about being resilient. And I can't think of a better goal. The longer this pandemic plays out, how do we become resilient followers of Jesus Christ? And we're going to do it together. Nobody does it alone. We always do it together. Thanks for starting your year with us today.